Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Karen Eber today. Today, you're going to learn about how to bring the best out of people. You're going to learn more about what drives people professionally, personally, and otherwise, and how storytelling can help you take your business, your real estate portfolio, your life to the next level and beyond. You're also going to learn about the neuroscience of storytelling and what happens in the brain when we tell stories, why that is so important. Today is a masterclass in taking the way that you communicate and the way that you lead other people, the way that you inspire other people to the next level. So buckle up. Today's episode is phenomenal. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar together. Before we dive in today, I have a couple asks. Number one, give me feedback. I'd like to hear what do you love? What do you not love? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of from Elevate Podcast? Give me your feedback. I want you to have ownership in the future of this podcast, of this movement, of this community, because it's not about me. It's not about you know our team. It's about this community. So I want to hear from you. Please send me an email at info at elevatepod.com uh, or send me a direct message on Instagram at elevatepod. I want to know from you, and I'd love to make some adjustments based on what it is that you'd like to see more of or less of. Uh, what who you'd like to hear from? You know, who would you not like to hear from? I want to know uh, because I want to continue to add massive value to your life, to your business. That's what it's all about. Also, my second ask, um, the fee for listening today is to pay it forward. Share this with a friend. If you've already shared Elevate Podcast before, thank you. We just ask that you do that again, each and every episode. Share this with someone new. Share this on your social media network. Share this directly to someone. Maybe it's someone you just met. Maybe it's someone you've known for a long time. And you'd like to help them take things to the next level. Tell them about Elevate Podcast. The only way that we can continue to pour into you uh, is to be able to pour into more people. And so the only way that this can grow is if you share this, if you give us the gift of referring us to someone else. So please refer Elevate Podcast wherever you have the opportunity to do so. We just ask that you do that one time to one person a day. That would mean the world to me. Also, give us a rating, review, subscribe, and follow Elevate Podcast. All of that is so critical for our growth. So we want to hear from you. Give us give us your feedback, please, please, please. Thank you so much. With all that said, now I'm going to give to you. and I'm going to dive in. And we've got some phenomenal content today. I want to introduce you to Karen Eber, who is an international consultant, keynote speaker and keynote speaker. Her talk on TED 
how your brain responds to stories and why they're crucial for, for leaders has almost 2 million views. As the CEO and chief storyteller of Eber Leadership Group, Karen helps companies reimagine and evolve how they transform culture from how they build leaders and teams to the stories they tell. She is currently working on her book, The Perfect Story, How to Tell Stories to Inform, Influence, and Inspire, which is expected to release in 2023. By the way, we talk a lot about the principles that she's currently working on in her book, which is really exciting and very, very insightful. Karen works with Fortune 500 companies like GE, Facebook, Kraft Heinz, Stuart Weitzman, Kate Spade. She guest lectures in universities and has inspired many through her articles published in Fast Company, CLO Magazine, and Training Industry Magazine. Karen has 20 plus years of experience and has been head of culture, chief learning officer, and head of leadership development at General Electric and Deloitte. She's a four-time American training and development winner and lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Without further ado, please enjoy this phenomenal podcast recording with the great Karen Eber. Karen Eber, welcome to Elevate. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so grateful to be here with you. And I think we're going to learn a lot together. Hopefully, maybe you learned something. It's so interesting. I actually say that. I'm just thinking this as we're kind of making a quick intro here. When we discuss things, even if it's a part of our expertise, it's almost like we learn more. So hopefully you even learn something more today. I know that we're all going to learn so much from this conversation. Karen, before we dive into this, tell us a little bit about how you would describe yourself if you were someone that really knows you best, like maybe family members, friends, you know, best friends, people that have known you for 10, 20, 30 years. What would they say about you, Karen? They would probably start with the fact I'm sarcastic and quick-witted um, and then start to move hopefully into nicer things, warmer things that I'm very empathic and loyal and compassionate and giving, but they'd probably definitely start with the sarcasm. <laughs> well, I, I I noticed that immediately as we started having a conversation before we recorded is that you're, you just have a, a lightness about you and a fun about you. So I would imagine that that is where that comes from. Maybe a little quick witted uh, sarcasm. And, and there's, there's a lot of value in that. I think it's fun to just have fun, right? We have to remember to have fun. And, you know, obviously you bring so much value in terms of your expertise, but before we get to that, tell us a little bit about your backstory, your upbringing, you know, what was life like growing up and, and how did this, this woman that we know now as Karen Eber come into existence? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a uh, tough one, right? my parents met and then they, um, <laughs> the stork brought you, right? When there's a bird and there's a bee, um, <laughs> it, I, I grew up in Miami, Florida and had the um, house on the cul-de-sac where everyone was outside in the summertime playing and you would come home to the whistles when it was getting dark out and stuff. Um, I grew up in Miami my whole life and, and went through the typical high school. I was in the marching band and did all the school activities and went into university and did an internship in the Boston area and moved up there and um, realized there's more than one season, which was amazing. <laughs> um, and in that journey somewhere, I realized like the thing that always fascinated me was people. And I studied psychology in university and, and found I was applying that towards business of how are people thinking about work and leading and experiencing. And so I morphed my way into this career of how do you bring out the best of people and create workplaces that are empathic and curious and healthy for people to be in. And that's always been the thing that I followed of 
this curiosity around what drives people in a business setting, because it's really not all that different than a personal setting, um, but how do you build leaders, teams, and a culture that's healthy and interesting? And a big part of that is storytelling. I have been on the other side of the desk trying to convince corporations to take on these big changes and all sorts of initiatives. And I found stories were such a compelling way to do it. And that has then broadened into how do you help a leader be memorable and interesting and start to do more work there. And um, yeah, it's continued to evolve. So all under this umbrella of how do you make work not be awful and how do you help people be their best? How do you make work not be awful? That's quite the phrase itself. And, and, and I know many of the listeners can relate because maybe like me, you know, early in my career, I was kind of coming up in the, you know, climbing the corporate corporate ladder and, and I found it to be pretty challenging. It was very political and it was like, well, wait a minute, you know, is this the right path for me? And I think maybe many of the listeners found real estate or being an entrepreneur as a different path to develop sort of maybe a lifestyle and that they could build their portfolio to then, you know, have a, a greater sense of, you know, life enjoyment and fulfillment. But I think the component that, which is why I'm so excited about our conversation today, is that we have to connect with people and we have to understand what drives people, what drives behavior. And we also have to understand how can we bring out the best in people, whether we're, you know, a solo practitioner, you know, you know, just an investor who's just trying to make their way, or whether we have a team or whether we have a large organization, we have to understand how story relates, right? And, you know, this is something that I feel like has been really top of mind for me because I want to move people. I want to help people understand, you know, that there may be more for their future, but I also think it's very basic. And so talk to us a little bit about why storytelling, you know, where, where did that become so important for you? When did you realize that that was so important? I mean, I know that obviously you talked about the drive, what drives people in the workplace was something that really inspired you or interested you. But when did you realize that storytelling was the component that was key to this, to this drive? It actually started way before that for me. I was born with two, well, when I was a few months old, I have two different color eyes. I was born with blue eyes and they changed. And, um, this always made me different and it was something I loved. So I have a brown eye and a green eye, uh, and it's, it's pretty vivid in person and in daylight. And this is like my favorite feature. This was the thing that made me special. And as I got to school age, I started to get a lot of questions like what, as I was talking to someone, I could see people freeze and all of a sudden I could see, tell like, oh yeah, I know, I know what this is. They have noticed my eyes and they would, then make a comment, not like how cool, but what's wrong with your eyes or that's so weird. Or my dog has that, or did you know you have two different color eyes? And so this thing that was super special to me that I loved all of a sudden became the very thing that everybody was holding me out is different for and not in a positive way. And it became really uncomfortable because now I was the thing I was like the freak show in the circus that people were, were pointing at and I got really tired of it. So I decided to reclaim it. And one day I was pretty young. I was about five. I told this story about how I was born with brown eyes and was in my room coloring about the time I was four. You have that big box of crayons where there are like some perfect ones and broken ones and peeled ones. And as I'm coloring, picking out crayons from the box, I looked at a green crayon and I sniffed it and it was kind of waxy and I took a nibble and it tasted pretty good. So I ate all the green crayons in the box. <laughs> and the next day I woke up and my eye was green. 
and I would tell the story like that. And then I would be quiet. And every time there would be this look of like skepticism, like, is she serious or not? Like, what is going on? And it created this different energy shift. And so it was no longer, I'm the freak show in the circus. It became this moment where it changed the energy and it changed the interaction and people would start laughing and then they'd ask other questions. And I would, of course, admit to the fact I did not eat crayons, which Crayola wants me to make sure I say. (laughs) Um, And I realized there's this power in telling a story to shift energy and to um, change your place in it and how impactful that could be. And I just started to pay attention to that more and started to use stories as ways when I was working on different HR initiatives or different leadership initiatives or culture initiatives as a way to inform and influence and inspire and expand thinking. There's a whole bunch of neuroscience on this. I I talked a little bit about it in um, the TED talk I did, and I'm I'm in the process of writing a book where I'm digging into, like there's five factory settings in our brain that if you plan a story right and you engage each of those, you are going to have something that is like this neurological hack to understanding and recall and engagement. So yeah, started with, again, sarcasm, as people would describe to me as a child, realizing it's a way to um, shift the energy in a narrative and also be really memorable. There's people to this day that will tell you that they think of they think of me when they see crayons. So (laughs) that's awesome. Well, I definitely want to talk about the five factory settings. I definitely want to talk about neuroscience, but before we get to that, let's talk about why, why is this critical? And why is this a critical skill for listeners or or leaders to develop and strengthen? Why is it important for people to, to strengthen their capacity to tell stories, whether they're a leader, whether they're a salesperson, whether they're investor entrepreneur, why is this important? It actually comes down to the five factory settings of the brain and this idea that um, we, uh, when you were just talking, communicating, reading numbers or going through a spreadsheet, you're just activating two really small parts of your brain, which is Wernicke and Broca's area. This is where your brain is comprehending words and translating them into understanding. You're not engaging with them. You're not committing them to memory. It is truly just comprehension. And because of that, you forget at least 50% right after. When you are being more dynamic and descriptive and expressive, whether it is using photos or a metaphor or a story, you start to engage different lobes of the brain as you activate the senses, as you activate emotions. And so from a real estate perspective, no pun intended, you go from something the size of a walnut to engaging your all four lobes of your brain. And because you're engaging a larger surface area, you're now, um, of course, causing the brain to spend more calories, but also encoding things in memory. So part of the reason why it is so important is if our brains are the pathway to our understanding and our connection and all of the things that allow for us to feel moved and make decisions, then why would we use something that uses maybe one eighth of it and doesn't have any retention when we could be using something that is the direct pathway to creating understanding. So just from a science perspective alone, it is huge. Um, There's science that we make decisions through our emotions. There's been a bunch of different studies on that. It's not through our research and fact and data. It's through our emotions and the way we get to our emotions is through story and connection. And so it's really the neurological hack to um, understanding and decision-making. 
That's an that's a really interesting one. And I think it's a huge takeaway distinction is that we make decisions through emotions. I remember back when I got into real estate, I was I the first book I read on negotiation was this book called Getting to Yes. Yeah. And it was by the Harvard Negotiation book, yeah. Project. It's a great book. William Murray, yeah. And you know, I you you learn about, you know, principles and understanding, you know, overla- overlapping principles, maybe one principle or one deal point is more important to you than it is to me. And perhaps there's a give and take there where I can put one piece in the middle of the table, you can put another piece in the middle of the table. And so from that perspective, there's a lot of logic behind it, right? So there are times where people make decisions through a little bit of logic. But what I also learned that one of the kind of next books that I read on negotiation was um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, you know, an FBI negotiator. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, one of the big takeaways from from his findings as an FBI hostage negotiator was that, you know, some of these terrorists or bank robbers, you know, were making ultimately would make decisions based on emotion. So what is it that we could figure out how to kind of sort of understand those emotions better? Right. Ask better questions. But when you think about decision making through emotions, I also think about if we're raising capital or we're negotiating a deal. You know, sometimes like the, you know, the the critical part of ourselves or the the logical part of ourselves thinks, well, all I have to do is just show the data, right? Just show that here's here's the deal points. Here's the, you know, here are the principles. But ultimately, I think what you're saying is that, yes, those data points are important, but we have to communicate them through emotions. And that comes through storytelling. Is that what you're saying, Karen? You're making me take notes because now I have a whole bunch of things I want to say. Um, <laughs> let me go back to your hostage negotiator comment, and then I'll come back to the data and decision making. Uh, so, in my in my experience, I do large scale leadership development for for Fortune 500s, and I have done a lot of I have stood up a lot of courses and and sessions on negotiations, and have brought in FBI hostage negotiators and NYPD hostage negotiators. And um, the first thing you learn that they do in a situation is they try to build empathy and a connection with the person that is holding people hostage because they can't take any steps forward until there is some degree of trust, which sounds really weird because their whole goal is to de-escalate the situation and stop it. But they cannot do that unless this person that is breaking the law and holding hostages and threatening lives and and buildings and everything, um, they can't do that until that person trusts them. So at the heart of all of this is connection. And they do that by trying to relate to them as a person and find out who they were as a child. And they try to find some type of common ground by unpeeling and understanding what aspect of their story is true. So I wanted to share that because we often think of negotiation as like, well, just give me the numbers and let's cut the deal. Let's figure it's, and right. it's really, it's about connection. So what is happening with data and decision-making um, whenever someone is, looking at data. Um, so say, say you're in a meeting and someone's presenting data. If they have not guided you through the story of the data, then um, each person's going to reach their own understanding of what the data are based on their own experiences, their own assumptions, 
the phrase data speaks for itself really isn't true because as I'm listening to you present data, I'm actually thinking like, do I trust him? Do I trust the quality mm. of this data? What is my take on this? What do I know? And so when you share a story to bring meaning to the data, what you're doing is you are taking and providing almost like a definition to get everyone to a common place to start a discussion. Um, doesn't mean everyone agrees with what that place is, but allows for it prevents miscommunication. Um, what is happening when we are listening to data is that uh, so often our brain is just tuning out. So one of our factory settings is that our brain is really lazy. It consumes about 20% of the calories in our body, but the brain's number one goal is to get you through the day alive. Hmm. And the brain loves to do this by having you do exactly what you did yesterday, the exact same way, because you made it. Let's not change anything. Because if you do it the same way, then as the brain, I get to conserve calories in case there's an emergency or danger, which is what my goal is always, right? So the brain is always looking for where can I just kind of chill and save calories in case I need. So this is when we check out, that's your brain conserving calories. And that is often what happens with data of if there's no way that someone is engaging with it and understanding and interacting and connecting to it, you check out. Um, you mentioned raising capital. I think charities are such a great example of this. So charities, right, their goal is typically to raise awareness, to get people to become allies and support the cause and to donate money. And there are always data behind all of it, but they don't start with the data. They start with the story of a person. So uh, there's a charity, Charity Water, that tells the story of Jean, this young boy who's about 10 years old in a rural village in Africa. He has to carry this bucket to a pond four times a day to get water for his family. And this pond is disgusting. It's stagnant. There's stuff on it. Like you and I would never drink out of it, but this is the water for his community. And they have to bring it back to bathe, to give to their animals, to, to drink and cook with and to, to grow crops. And he has to do this four times a day so they can survive. He can't go to school. If he goes to school, they don't have water. They don't live. Every time he gets sick, they suffer. And sickness is prevalent because the water isn't healthy. So they tell this story of John. And then they tell the story about when they were able to build a well in this community and teach the community what proper hygiene is and how they could move past this cycle of disease that they had and the changes that it had and how Jean and others could now go to school and their whole community could move forward in a way they couldn't because they had clean water. So they connect you in this where you all of a sudden think, wow, it's not just about water to be hydrated. It's about their entire ecosystem. Mm and how they can't move forward. And now I get that differently. And then they go to one in 10 people don't have clean water and this impacts however many million, right? So I think charities do a really good job of, of one of the data principles that I like to say, which is tell the smallest version of the story that you can before you go and connect people to the larger data. So when you're looking at any piece of data, you want to think about what is it I want my audience to know, think, or do. And then you want to think like, what is the smallest story here that I can tell to create meaning? And then how do I step back and help them realize what that really means? Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide 
property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Okay. That's so good. I mean, that is, I'm just, my mind is going in so many different directions. And, and first of all, I'm like, take notes now. I'm, I'm taking tons of notes and I, I hope the listeners are as well, but I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking about what's happening in my brain as you're telling me this story, because I'm visualizing this little boy going back and forth, you know, for the water. And then, you know, even just that tiny example, it's like, okay, now the bigger picture makes sense because we zoomed in now we can zoom out. And I think about like, even just real estate deals, uh, you know, and obviously it's kind of taking us into a different vein, but I think about, it's like, if you want to have collective buy-in towards your project, whether it's a development, whether it's acquisition, reposition, we got to tell the story to the bank. We got to tell the story to other investors. We got to tell the story to our partners and then we can go out. But let's keep going on these factory settings because the first one was like, wow, okay, our brain is lazy. And it's so interesting. And sometimes I think about it and we're looking at deals and I'm like, all right, I'm kind of yawning. It's like, you know, I like numbers, but sometimes it gets a little boring. But what you're telling me is our brain is lazy. It's just trying to get us through the day. This is a factory setting. So what else? Let's keep going on that. Yeah. Just one more thing on the data. While what people often say is, well, maybe I don't have a story about the data. I and mean, it's actually not true because behind every piece of data is a person or a problem or a pattern as something. And that's what you want to connect people to. It's never about the number. It's always about what does it mean behind that? Yes. Okay. So our brains are lazy. That is factory setting one. That is the biggest, most important one. And what that means for storytelling is you want to tell stories that make the brain intentionally spend calories because you want the brain not to be lazy. And to do that, you have to include something that is unexpected. So think about whenever you've watched a movie and you've tried to guess like who have who who did it, if it's a mystery or a murder or something, or just anytime you're watching a show or reading a book and you try to guess where it's going, right? So your, your brain is always trying to rush to make those assumptions, which is the second factory setting, right? Our brain loves to anticipate and fill in gaps because it is lazy. The faster it figures something out, the faster it can just relax and chill. So we are going to make assumptions based on our own knowledge experiences, all of that, which is what contributes to bias. Um, and so the way you slow that down is you put in a plot point that is unexpected. You put in a phrase that is unexpected, some order or something like that. You want it to be um, where the brain or you, the person who houses the brain says, oh, I didn't, that, I, that's clever. I wasn't expecting that. So the, your brain is lazy and it loves to make assumptions as a second. The third is that we are categorizing 34 gigabytes of information every day. And much of this is happening at a subconscious level, right? You don't realize that you're 
taking in sights, sounds, and, and all of the things through your senses, as well as comprehending and filing it. And so what happens in simplest terms is your brain has this file of folders and says, is this new? Do we need to create a new folder? Or does this go in an existing folder of something that we know? Or is this related to something that we know? And so this is happening super quickly without us even realizing it. And this is also where bias and assumptions come in because we're going to put it in based on our own experiences and even our genetic makeup, all of that. Um, which means that if someone isn't guiding you through that, you're going to file it in whatever way makes sense. And, and I'm going to do that. And everyone else will do that. And that's where we get to misunderstandings because we're each putting, creating our own file of folders. So let me ask you a quick question on that. How do you help people file that away? Is it, Hey, yeah. let's, let's give more context to this piece of information. Give us a sense of what you mean by that. Yeah, simple things can ground it. So where you are anchoring something to something that is familiar. So I um, I write a blog called Brain Food and I use stories to then reinforce ideas around leadership and culture and storytelling and teaming. And I was writing one about... Um, I observed surgery in the OR when I was in high school, super cool experience. And I was trying to describe um, the incision, which led to the story. Uh, but I talk about the, the incision is the size of a paperclip. Okay. So immediately you realize, okay, we're not cutting someone in half. We're doing something that is however, you know, whatever paperclip size you imagine. So that's a simple example, but where you are putting in things that anchor to what people know, there's certain things when you're giving details of a story, like you want to include the time and place, um, you want to give characters names, like you want to just use things that are going to be familiar because then that helps. You also want to use specific details. If I said to you, I had dessert, not so memorable. If I said to you, I had pistachio ice cream with colored sprinkles on top, that's more vivid. And you're going to remember that. Mm, that's great. That's great. And, and by the way, we're talking about what happens when, you know, we're talking about the factory settings of your mm -hmm. brain. Uh, if you tell stories in the right, in the right way, and this is really hacking the brain while telling stories, correct? Completely. Yeah. So number that's four, I'm trying to help people too. <laughs> it's the neurological hack to win them over. Um, there's two more. So one is that we, our survival is dependent on us being a part of in groups or being outside of groups. So in groups and out groups, right? This happened all the way from cavemen and ancestors, because if you find in groups, there are more individuals that can help provide shelter and protect against threats and to find food, all of that, right? So more makes it easier. So we naturally look for belonging and you feel it when you are somewhere and you, you find your group of people, like you feel comfortable. Um, same is true for outgroups. We want to find where we don't belong because that usually means there's something that's not in alignment and not helpful for us. And so stories give that opportunity to depict a picture that helps you feel like a part of an in-group or not. So as I tell this story about John, the young boy in Africa, we're, we're an out-group to that. We all have running water. We don't know what it's like to carry a bucket for to a pond and stuff, but we can also understand. And so what stories do is they help you feel like they help you understand where you belong. And then because of that, you can think about what that means for you. So in the case that Charity Water is trying to do, they're trying to get people to give them support and to give attention and awareness and to give money. And so creating in and out groups is 
um, the, the fourth one. And then the last one is that we are wired to seek pleasure. So we've got the cocktail of serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin neurochemicals that are released in different ways, but they each serve a role and they are pleasure chemicals. They are things that we seek and we want more of and create connection and bonding. And we have the other cocktail of uh, adrenaline and cortisol that are the, the pain or the danger or the get out of danger cocktails. And so when you were telling a story, you have a way to, to be thoughtful of, am I bringing the audience through a uncomfortable story that is going to maybe elevate the cortisol? Um, or am I, am I connecting them to a pleasure story? So and my TED talk, the opening story is about someone dropping their phone down an elevator shaft. That is an uncomfortable story <laughs> on purpose. And all of a sudden, uh, as someone in the second row did when I was giving it, you go, <gasps> because you can imagine that and the impact it would have on your life. Um, but there's also so many stories that make you feel connection and pleasure. So those five, when you're aware of them, there's different things you can then intentionally do in your story to make sure you are maximizing the brain's potential in understanding and ultimately how you inform, influence, and inspire. Yeah. How do we, how do we move people? How do we bring out the best in people? How do we drive people to, you know, achieve more together collectively? Cause sometimes you can't get people out of their own way unless you understand what's really moving them perhaps towards something that's going to serve a greater future. You've said before that there's three questions that make a great story. What is the context? What is the conflict? And what is the outcome? Could you expand upon those questions? Yeah. And there's really a fourth too. Um, so the context is what is the setting? What is happening? And why should I, as the listener care? So when you are starting to build a story, I always encourage people write one sentence for describe the context and it should ultimately answer like, why should I even care about this story as your audience? But it should also help me understand what's going on. The conflict is the point of tension where something happens, right? There's always something that has to happen. And so same thing, you would write another sentence for what is the conflict? What is that turning point? The outcome is what is the result based on whatever action was taken because of the conflict? So you would want to write a sentence for that. So when you're framing out a story, you write these three sentences of what is the context? What is the conflict? What is the outcome? And then the fourth one, and this is the one everybody skips, but it's the one that gets you into trouble when you skip it, is what is the takeaway? And this is the like overall Uber message of the story of what is the meaning and takeaway of this story? And the reason why this one is so important is this is what helps you stick the landing on your story. When someone is telling a story that they love because it's their favorite story and they're fitting it into a context, but then you're like, okay, why are you telling that? It was missing that. And when you write a sentence for the takeaway, it helps you make sure you're really anchoring the point for your audience and that it's relevant and that you tell it in that way that's meaningful for them. That's very helpful. And I think that's very applicable, right? The listener can always think about, all right, well, what's the context? What's the conflict and outcome and the takeaway? And ultimately it all leads back to neuroscience and it, it speaks to us, you know, in, in some ways at a, in, you know, kind of like a genetic level, like we've evolved to the point where stories have given us the capacity of sharing information and data so that we can further the species so that we can protect our families or protect our tribes or, you know, stay away from the, the conflicting tribes or whatever. I just think that's really interesting. One thing 
I'm really fond of is that success leaves clues, right? That's, that's a, it's a philosophy that I think is, is highly important. I would be curious, who are some of the companies that you think are telling stories or utilizing this kind of process in the best way? Is there any examples that you'd point to? I do have one. I love this one particular company and it's, it's not what you would expect. There's this company called Eternova. And if you are a TikTok fan, go on TikTok and watch their one minute stories. Eternova is this company that takes remains from loved ones, whether it is human or animals, and they turn them into gems and diamonds. And they go through this process of how they turn, break it down into carbon, all of that. But they do amazing storytelling on TikTok of not only their process, but um it's very clear that they have a very specific set of values and culture, which you would expect for such a, a really important um, and I guess sacred business. You know, you're you're honoring someone's remains and wishes, and so that you, you're not doing that flippantly. And they tell the story of the people and they tell the story of the process. Um, and you're there and you're like, this is a one minute TikTok. And I'm like wiping a tear. How are they doing this? It's truly, they do it so well because what they are doing is they're taking a subject that probably is, it, it bridges both the, the pleasure and the pain. Like this is the loss of a loved one. And it's very painful to the people that this is, um, this is being done for. Um, but then it's also a very, enjoyable and memorable. And um, so, yeah, that's one I would, I would definitely encourage people to look at because it just is informative and um, but yeah, you get all the feels. They do such a cool job. So uh, the other thing too, is like, I think about, so the, the critical point that you mentioned just a few minutes ago was the takeaway. You got to describe the takeaway in advance of crafting your story or telling your story. And it almost to me seems at the end of the day, if we're going to make an impact, our story has to kind of allow people to take action or encourage people to take action in a certain direction. Are there any movies or books that you think are good examples for this, for us to study and kind of reference anything that comes to mind? It's interesting about the take action. Cause I think that, um, I don't know that you necessarily have to prescribe, like, here's the, the call to action, the way you might in a marketing message or something. Um, so there's really two stories that are always told, right? There's the story that I'm telling as a storyteller, but there's the story that you hear as the listener. And they might not be identical because you are going to hear what I'm saying, but you're going to have your own internalization of that based on your experiences. And you might add this whole other layer or emotion or something to it that, that makes you reflect or decide what you want from it. So um, the takeaway is meant to frame, like, do you get the understanding and the, the ideal outcome? But sometimes that, that action shifts with the, the person. Um, but that's the cool part of story, right? You kind of put it there and you let people see um, specific like books or movies that do this. I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for so many. Like what I look for, for something that holds my attention is, is it predictable? Because if it's predictable, then I lose interest, right? My brain says, mm, sorry. Um, but where it is vivid and I feel like I'm there and I am seeing and hearing and feeling and tasting, like I can easily put myself there and I feel. So one thing that happens, another neurological thing that happens when a person is telling a story as the listener, 
your brain lights up and mirrors the storyteller's brain as though you're having the activity. So if I am talking about surfing and I'm paddling out on the ocean and the wind is blowing my hair and I'm you know trying to pop up as the wave comes and I um, you know, fall face first and hit the water and the salt in my, hits my lips, all that, like your brain then can start to light up as though you're doing that, right? So there's this neural... Um, neural connection that is another hack. And so a good story is going to have you actually physically feel like you are in it. This is why you watch James Bond run over rooftops and you might be sitting really still, but your heart starts racing. Like you're James Bond because your brain is like, we're doing it. We're running across the rooftops. So I look for that of where do I feel that response? Because I know that it is starting to engage the senses and make my brain spend, spend some calories. So yourself being a I would say a prolific storyteller and someone who teaches others how to, to lead better, inspire more influence more through storytelling. How are you refining your own storytelling skills? All of the time. I feel like, um, so I actually believe in the research that says when you play to your strengths, you have unlimited growth. You don't tap out. Um, and I think that's true. I think my storytelling continues to evolve. So sometimes it grows through individual work with people or with a CEO. Um, you know, I see what they're facing and it helps us get to a new insight. Um, sometimes it's just thinking of how to improve my writing or improve the way I tell it. Um, so I often start my stories in writing and then I get to take them verbally and the way you tell them on a stage um, when I do keynotes, like the way I tell them is different than the way I write them. So there's learning in that. And how do you, how do you create all of that verbally? Cause there's things you can do physically and how you tell the story that also impact it. Um, you know, just getting more clever with ideas. I am all for, I don't want you to see it coming or I want to bring you joy. I wrote a story recently about the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile and that was <laughs> my most viewed story because it's unexpected and it's fun. And so it's just always like, what, what could be new and different is what I ask myself and keep exploring. So when you say like, there are obviously some things you can do with your body or the way that you present a story, is there anything, any examples that you would give that, that, that listeners should consider when telling their own type of stories? Uh, I will give you three. Awesome. The first is that you want to vary your cadence. You can create excitement or anticipation by speaking faster and faster as you're getting up to your point. And then you can pause and let something really sink in. So you, or you might choose to speak really quietly and slowly. Like you can play with cadence and pause. Those are two together that can have a huge impact. Pause allows for what you're saying to really sink in. So if you're going to increase your cadence, you want to, you want to put a pause in there so it can land, um, especially when there's a key point. The third is that if you've ever seen graphic facilitation, graphic facilitators that are like drawing images real time, um, taking notes on something, they are working off their own um, graphic vocabulary. So if you're going to talk about brain or neuroscience, they know, okay, I'm going to draw a brain. If, it, if you're going to say the word idea, they know I'm going to draw a light bulb with three little things coming out of the top, right? They have their own vocabulary, their own image vocabulary for what they're going to use when they're facilitating and storytelling. You should have the same thing when you're speaking. 
And that should be your visual movement. So how will you move for major words that are um, bringing to life what you're describing and thinking that through? So when I am talking about neuroscience, there's often a gesture I do around my brain or different things like that. And so you want to not only say and play with cadence, but you want to do things that reinforce the visualization of what you're saying. This is awesome. And I think that this is just a masterclass in really truly elevating the way that you lead other people, you influence other people, you inspire other people. So I'm just grateful for this masterclass. I feel like I've, I've got two full pages of notes here, Karen. This is awesome. I look forward to continuing to learn from you through the stories that you share. Uh, but I do want to transition into our rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire, right? It's, it's rare to think about, well, how can I communicate better? How can can I inspire more? How can I lead other people in a bigger way? Right. That may be rare, but guess what? We're rare. We're extraordinary here and we're going to continue to, to raise the bar. So I have a few questions for you, Karen. Um, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Uh, one is this book, Alter Ego by Todd Herman. And it's really about like which version of you shows up for different moments because we aren't the same person, right? If you're negotiating, a different version of you is needed um, versus if you're writing or whatever. So it, it in simpler terms is what is the story you're telling yourself in different moments? So I really like that. Um, it's a nice mindfulness of who do I need to be today or who, do, who needs to show up today and how do I really tap into that? Um, and the other one's related. It is by um, Liz Foslian and Molly West Duffy. It's called, called No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. And it is, you know, we are whole beings. And a lot of the work I do is with, with um, teams that are working through conflict and emotions are data. And so how do we not shun that, but really start to recognize the role that they play and welcome that and invite it? That's awesome. And and I was just, as you were mentioning the the book, alter ego to go back to that one. I was thinking that you just mentioned the the story you're telling yourself at any moment. Uh, to me, that's like a whole other sort of realm of, of storytelling that, you know, I'd love to dive into, do, dive in with you at some point in time, but it is really interesting. The fact that we have multiple personalities and we can tap into that at any moment in time and, you know, whatever is needed of us. And so I think that that's really, really cool, but we'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find both of those books. Karen, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? So the past um, two years, really, since COVID, I have been really focused on my resilience and rest. Um, and like everyone, right, the world caused shifts and changes. And I had the benefit of traveling a little bit less and traveling a lot less. Um, and you kind of settle and you see what what um, sinks in. And so instead of trying to pack every single day with everything I have to do, I've really tried to um give more emphasis to where I want to go deep and remove some of those other things and then make sure I'm putting in really thoughtful time for rest and resilience. So um, I am producing more and working less, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's almost like slow down to speed up in some ways. I'm sure you've become more productive in many ways. There's definitely a clue there. It's interesting that the combination of resilience and rest work together because it's almost like the resilience is built through that rest and recovery, right? You become more resilient as a result. I love that. That's awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Karen? So one of my superpowers is helping people see where they're at their best or what, um, like, 
people sometimes know what they're strengthened by, but there's often so much noise that they miss it. And so I love to hold up a mirror and help people see themselves the way I see them and then help them bring that forward. Um, Cause I can see it very clearly and I can help them cut through that noise. And to me, that's such a gift when you can show someone how you see them and help them start to embrace that image and, and maybe turn off some of those voices that are getting in the way of that. That's beautiful. And, and one of my favorite parts about that was the phrase of one of my superpowers is and where my superpower is. And I think every listener here has a superpower. They may have multiple superpowers. So what is that? Continue to explore that, continue to dive into that story because we all have, we're all on our own journey, but we can also share that with so many other people. Karen, thank you so much for being on Elevate Podcast. You're amazing. Uh, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? I always try to encourage people who are learning to use stories or leaning into stories or afraid to use stories. Don't wait for the perfect story to land in your lap. They're not birthed fully formed and perfect. I start with fragments and notes and messiness. Um, There's no such thing as a perfect story. You have to take your ideas, your stories, your moments and make them perfect. And that's my encouragement of anyone can do this. This is why I'm trying to give people the neurological hacks and the ways to start this. Because once you realize, oh, it's a little bit of art and science, you realize you can do it. Yeah, that's amazing. And I want to invite the listeners to engage with Karen at KarenEber.com. We'll put a link in the show notes as to where you can find her. Also on Instagram at KarenEber1. Same on Twitter. And if you go to her website at KarenEber.com, there is a freebie uh, on the common mistakes made with storytelling. We didn't actually dive into the common mistakes. So that'll be an addition to so much of the learning that we had today. So Karen, thank you so much for that. Uh, Also, you got to check out her TED Talk. Just go to TED.com slash talk slash Karen underscore uh, Eber underscore how, yeah. Anyway, we'll put that link Just in the show notes. And look up yeah. Karen Eber. It's really long. <laughs> I don't get to control that. Yeah. It's really it's long. A, it's a really long link, but you know what? That's right. Just, just search Karen Eber's name on Ted.com and you'll find it because it's phenomenal. Karen, thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you. Elevate nation, man. I'm challenging myself right now to get better at storytelling. I'm getting better at learning what happens in the brain when you tell an effective story, when you understand, um, you know, describing context, conflict, outcome, takeaways, understanding that, you know, pattern interrupts are important, man. I just feel like there's just so much value in this conversation. There's so much value in this practice of refining our storytelling skills. So I hope you can see how this plays into real estate investing, how this plays into being a leader, how this plays into being a salesperson, um, being a leader of your family and, and a leader of a team, um, negotiating deals, raising capital, raising debt. I mean, there's so many different ways which telling stories can help us take our business and our life to the next level, AKA elevate our life. And so I just hope that you enjoy this. I hope that you see the value in this. I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show because repetition is the mother of all skill. I also want to encourage you to discuss this with someone else, share this and discuss this with someone else. Because when we engage in discourse, we learn more, like we learn more through story, but we can also bring this in, in context in a discussion 
and we can have storytelling practice through that, you know, through that experience as well. So I want to encourage you to have discourse and share this with someone else. I also want to encourage you, of course, to identify your number one, two, and three key takeaways. What are some stories that you'd like to tell? And what are some framework? What what is some framework around that story that you'd like to refine and optimize and improve? Because there's so much value here. Ultimately, the most important part about all of this is take massive action, implement something that you learned today. What is it that you'd like to implement immediately? I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that now because knowledge is not power. The only real power is taking massive action. So with all that said, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.